Samuel chapter 11, and I have quite a lengthy passage of Scripture. I would apologize for that, but it is the Word of God, and uh, we believe in the importance of the Word of God. We're a Bible-based church, praise God. 2 Samuel chapter 11, then we'll go to the book of Proverbs. Let's begin with 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. Everybody went besides David. And they destroyed the children of Amnon and besieged Rabah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening time that David arose off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her and she came in unto him and he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned to her house and the woman conceived and sent and told David and said I am with child and David sent to Joab saying send me Uriah the Hittite and Joab sent Uriah to David and when Uriah was coming to David David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou, thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink, to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And that evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house came to pass in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah and he wrote in the letter saying set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die and it came to pass when Joab observed the city and he assigned that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were and the men of the city went out and fought with Joab that 
there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. I want you to notice in verse 8, David asks or commands Uriah to go down to his own house. And the scripture says in verse 9 that he slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down into his house. And uh, David asked him why he was to do this. He gave him several reasons why he thought he should go on to his own home. And he says, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab, the servants of my lord, are encamped in the open fields. And so I want to keep that in mind as we read in the book of Proverbs chapter 20 book of Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6 one passage of scripture most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness but a faithful man everybody say faithful but a faithful man who can find most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And I simply want to speak for the next few moments upon this subject, the marks of a faithful man. The marks of a faithful man. Let's lift up our voices once again to the Lord and pray for his anointing, his touch upon this service tonight. We want his touch upon this Bible study. Jesus, we're asking you to help us in this house tonight. We understand that without you we can absolutely do nothing at all. Everything that we attempt in our flesh is but futile without the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We understand, God, how desperately we need it in this hour. And we're praying, God, that you would anoint us on this Wednesday night. And apply this word to the hearts of everyone that is here to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you clap your hands once again to the Lord and give Him praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. You know, especially with our classes going out on Wednesday night and then it being summertime, it just, I don't know, it does something to the psychic, but we're going to have church here tonight. Praise God. The marks of a faithful man. How many understands that our society is on a search for stability? And they're not finding it in the government. They're not finding it in politics or in political leaders. Matter of fact, it is astonishing how much of a total drought of real leaders that there is in this land as we speak tonight. So politics is certainly not providing stability for America. Uh, the economy is another issue. And then people's careers used to be that you could obtain a job as a young man or a young lady and work that job as long as you desired to. But it does not seem that things are as stable in jobs or careers as they once were. And the same is true in their relationships. Uh, it seems like relationships are not nearly as stable, and I'm talking about in the secular world, in society. Uh, studies have shown that over 50% of marriages end in divorce. And that was something that 
was not true just a few decades ago, but it has become a reality in our world today. And as they turn to the church looking and searching for stability, this needs to be the last place that people sense instability. I understand that as things progress in the end time, there is a necessity for things to be adapted, things to be adjusted, and uh, there are certain adjustments that we need to make uh, that are good, that are logical, and that are biblical as time goes on, and there's nothing wrong with that. I understand that a church that does just stay the same and doesn't adapt and doesn't grow and doesn't flourish and doesn't make adjustments is a church that is going to grow stagnant and stale and it's going to die on the vine. I've seen and kind of been a student of great churches throughout the ages and uh, it seems like in just this century, churches that were started back maybe in the early 30s and 40s just after the explosion of Pentecost here in America, uh, the churches that have survived over time have been churches that were willing to grow, that were willing to gather old mindsets and, and uh, set aside certain traditions that were not healthy in order to see revival and growth. Yet, they hung on to core values and stayed anchored to necessary things. And there's quite a balance to strike in all of that. We've got to hold true uh, to the message. Sometimes our methods and our methodology can be adapted uh, to try to reach and to uh, win people to God. And that's our desire. Can you say amen? I want to see the church grow. I'm not interested in just staying stagnant. I'm not interested in us for and no more kind of mentality. I'm not just a maintenance man. Amen. And neither do I want to ever fit in that role of just uh, being uh, satisfied with past successes and just getting by with where we was or what we used to be and talk about the moves of God that used to take place. But I want to continue to dig. I want to continue uh, to stay committed and uh, further myself in consecration and prayer and my desperation and desire and passion for God. I don't ever want to grow stale in those things. And, uh, you know, as time goes on and living for God, I'm just going to tell you that that's going to demand more of you. You're going to have to consciously strive. And uh, you're going to have to make up your mind and make a cognizant choice that I'm not going to let myself just grow stagnant. I'm not going to let myself just stay in the same place. I'm not going to allow myself just to, uh, to live on past experiences. But I'm going to reach down and I'm going to pull myself up in a way and demand a little more and create a desire in myself to reach for the things of God. I've said it many, many times, but uh, a preacher can, can give you good advice. He can preach to you the truth. He can expound the Word of God. He can teach to you the Word of the Lord. Uh, there's a lot of things that I can give to you as far as um, hopefully godly wisdom that I believe goes beyond the man, but it goes uh, with the anointing of the office that I hold. And I thank God for the office of a pastor. I have a pastor, and I believe it takes a pastor to be saved. 
But there's one thing that a pastor cannot do for you, and that is that he cannot give you desire. He cannot give you desire to live for God. You've got to stir up that gift that is within you. Amen. You've got to allow your own desire and your own appetite for the things of God to grow. And you've got to nurture that. You've got to keep that alive. Amen. It goes without saying that if a person ever loses their appetite, there's a sign that something is wrong. A sickness, disease uh, causes the, the loss of appetite. And with the loss of appetite, there's atrophy. And then death is to follow. I don't want to get in a place where I don't have a hunger for God. I don't ever want to arrive at a place that I don't have an appetite for the things of God. You ought to grow concerned when you've got an appetite for other things more than you have an appetite for the things of God. You ought to really, you ought to really check yourself and say, God, I don't ever want to allow myself to get to the place that, that I don't hunger for the things of you. You ought to thank God every day that that you don't feel comfortable until you've prayed and you've touched God. That you don't feel comfortable just allowing your Bible to sit on the nightstand and collect, collect dust, but you have a desire to read the Word of God. You ought to thank God that you have children that say, you know, when Wednesday night comes around, I, I want to go to church. I want to be in the house of God. It ought, to be, it ought to be with all of us that when we've been away, either because of a job situation or maybe a vacation takes us away and we have to miss a service or two. It ought to be in all of our hearts. We ought to say within ourselves, our, our soul ought to speak to us. It ought to say, you know what, we need to get back to church. We need to get back to the house of God. We need to get in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. Because this is the most important thing in our life. And the only way that I can stay alive and I can stay vibrant and I can stay healthy as a Christian is to stay hungry for the things of God. Amen? Praise the Lord and keep spiritual appetites alive in my life. And uh, certain adjustments have to be made for us to do that sometimes. What you did 20 years ago for God may not, may not uh, stir you like it used to. You used to get by on a certain amount, but now you may have to put a little increase on that. You may have to give a little more. You may have to sacrifice a little more. Amen. But you cannot allow that to die in your life. It's got to stay alive. It's got to stay alive. But if ever in our world we needed people that are stable and that are solid, that are firmly rooted, and that are living in a way that is a witness that people can look at us and say, you know what, there's something distinct about them. There's, there's, a, there's a world that's confused and chaotic and unstable and fluctuating and uh, people's moods are up and down. Come on, you work on a job. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, some people, you don't know, you just, you don't know how, what you're going to get from one day to the next. And that's the challenge of a lot of employers in our day. They don't know what they're going to get from one day to the next. And uh, a lot of people, it seems like... Uh, there's a lot more diagnosis of people being schizophrenic and people being, uh, you know, they call it uh, whatever the term is that they use when they diagnose them and, and say, well, they just don't have a, a, a long attention span. 
Well, all of this is signs of the times that we're living in as being unstable times, times that are not really solid and uh, used to have sure footing, used to be able to know what's, what's going on, where people's at, what, what's happening. But uh, from one day to the next, uh, people's emotions and ideas and, and all of that ebbs and flows. It's up and down. And uh, that's just the world that we're living in. But the church should not be that way. Come on now. I said the church should not be that way. As Holy Ghost people, as saints of God that are filled with His Spirit, there ought to be something stable about you. There ought to be something solid about you. There ought to be something dependable about you. Amen. Faithfulness needs to mark your life. That needs to be a characteristic that you have developed as you mature in God. And so from the outset tonight, I think it's important to note that Uriah was not living in favorable times. I think sometimes we look back at these Bible characters and they said, we say, well, they didn't live in times like we're living in. They didn't live in days like we're living in. If they lived in the times that we're living in, surely they, weren't, uh, they would not end up being the same people that perhaps they were as we read about them in the Word of God. But that's not true. As you read uh, uh, the times that they were living in, you'll find that, that, that much of that era of time was maybe perhaps parallel to the days that we're living in right now. And uh, the Bible tells us that these were not favorable times. Uh, it was a nation that was in constant conflict. And there was always a stir. There was chaos all around them. There was enemies just like today that hated the people of God. And so they were very unfavorable and they were not conducive to faithfulness. Uh, where Uriah was concerned, him being a faithful man was against the grain. It was against the grain of society. And there's really no example of faithfulness for him to follow as you read these verses of Scripture. We talk about King David, but during this period of his life. He was not proving to be a very faithful man. And as a ruler, as a leader, it reveals to us here that he was an unfaithful king. It also tells us that Uriah had an unfaithful superior, a general by the name of Joab that was very uh, unfaithful, did not have a lot of integrity, didn't have a lot of loyalty to his men to be able to accept an order like he did from David to move Uriah to the front lines, basically to murder him. So Joab was not somebody that Uriah could depend upon. And then, I suppose the most disheartening to uh, Uriah was the fact that he was married to an unfaithful wife. An unfaithful wife. Bathsheba was unfaithful to him. Yet even in the midst of these unfavorable conditions, Uriah was a very faithful man. I think it's important to note that you can go against the grain. Amen. This reveals to us and gives us an example from the Word of God that, that you can live for God in spite of what's going on in our world. Regardless of what's happening outside these doors, I'm going to tell you, there's enough power in the Holy Ghost to give you stability, to walk right, to live right, to live righteously, to be faithful to God in these days that are unfavorable. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, you can live for God like the Bible says. 
through the empowerment of the Holy Ghost, you can be a faithful saint of God. Don't let the devil define you. Don't let society define you. Don't let the days we're living in define you. But you need to define the times that you're living in by your lifestyle. I'm going to live for God if it means going against the current of this world. I'm not going to let this world decide for me what kind of person I'm going to be. How I'm going to live for God. Come on now. We need to live for God no matter what's going on. And for that matter, no matter what the rest of the church world is doing, we're going to live for God right. We're going to stay with apostolic values. We're going to keep preaching this one God message. We're going to keep preaching this Acts 2.38 message. Amen. Praise God. And so, it is possible. I think the devil tries to tell, in particular our young people, that it's not really possible to live for God. As though the conditions that they're living in is some way so far out and so much more difficult and challenging than any of the characters of the Word of God or any example that they have in recent history. But that's not the truth. I said that's not the truth. You can live for God and live for God faithfully. Amen. So by examining the life of Uriah, we can find I believe, definite characteristics of what it means to be a faithful man. What was it that, that marked Uriah's life? And I just want to go through a few things that I noticed in the Word of God in this Bible study tonight. But first of all, Uriah didn't live for his own convenience. That's the mark of a faithful person. You know, our world, everything has to be tailored to their convenience. I mean, everything that goes on in society, much of it, we don't care how much it costs as long as it's convenient and comfortable for us. Amen? It seems that that's what gets the most appeal. I mean, from clothing right on down, the most comfortable clothing. Obviously, the trends and the styles of our day are not the best looking. I mean, it doesn't look good. Some of these shoes these kids are wearing nowadays. I went and bought some shoes for one of my boys and I looked at them things and I said, at least they could sell me some new ones. Anybody know what I'm talking about? At least I could get some new ones paying that kind of price. Obviously, it's not the look that we're after here. It has to be the comfort. It has to be. I mean, it just, I mean, it's gotta be the, it's gotta be that those are more comfortable to, to wear. Amen. I mean, have you seen some of those things? Have you seen some of those styles? My Lord, you can wear a size 10. It looks like you wear a size 15. And, uh, well, whatever. I'll move on. I can see I can get on some of y'all's toes. <laughs> some of you, some of you rather not even wear shoes at all. I understand. That's the way it is. I had a person working for me here one time, and they come in, they was wearing flip-flops. I said, my God, this is a church, man. I said, you need to get them flip-flops and get them out of here. <laughs> I said, because you ain't going to be acceptable around here wearing flip-flops. And I, I've learned to adapt a little bit with, with the times we're living in, but you know what? Uh, our world is so, so uh, governed and so... Uh, 
I, I don't know, so influenced by what is convenient for us. When David, in an attempt to cover his own sin, uh, asked Uriah, he said, return to your own house, man. Rest in your own bed. It's be a whole lot better than what you've been sleeping on. You've been sleeping on an old sleeping bag on the ground. It'd be a whole lot more convenient and comfortable. Go, go home, sleep with your own pillow, eat at your own dinner table. Enjoy your family. Be around your family. And Uriah refused, and he slept on the doormat just outside the king's palace door along with the servants or the lowest of the lows that were there. Uriah refused because he understood if I'm going to be faithful, if I'm going to be a man that is marked with faithfulness, I cannot always do what is convenient for me. And all of us are going to be faced with this choice at some point in our relationship with God, doing what is convenient. And maybe it's just convenience for the time, and, and, and that seems to be uh, the rage of the day. If you can just live for now, no matter what the consequences are down the road, I mean, if I can be comfortable right now, it doesn't matter that it's going to charge $1,000 to my credit card. I understand I'm going to pay about a 19% interest, and I'm going to have to pay it back at some point, but I just am interested in being comfortable at this moment. So we live for momentary convenience many times, not thinking about the consequences of the future. And we do this in a lot of our choices concerning our own walk with God. What is convenient? Prayer is not always convenient. I, I hate to burst your bubble here tonight, but prayer is not always a convenient thing. But it's a choice that has to be made. I wish I could tell you if you got a prayer life that every time you come to the house of God to pray or every time you find your special place of prayer at home, whatever it is, a prayer closet, whatever, and you bow your knees, that all of heaven's going to fall at that moment. And you're going to feel goose pimples roll up and down your spine. And you're going to speak in tongues for 30 minutes. And it's going to be the most glorious prayer meeting that you've ever had. But that's not the case. Sometimes God just, I think, backs off, crosses his arms and said, All right, buddy, I want to see if you're going to be faithful. I wonder if you're going to push this flesh aside and come and pray and talk to me because you love me, not because of what I do for you and the feeling that you get when you do it. Sometimes you got to go beyond feeling into the realm of faith and say, God, I know I can't feel you, but I know you're there. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to touch heaven. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to seek the face of God because I want you to work in my life. Not just today, but I want you to be there along the way. Amen. Sometimes it's easy just to say, well, I don't know about, I don't know about all this fasting stuff. You talk about the most inconvenient thing. You 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 find a way that fasting is convenient. Oh, I know they got all these they got all these newfangled ways to fast nowadays. Oh yeah, I've made it convenient. Straight milkshakes. I'm fasting. Anything I can get in the blender and blend up. That's that's all I'm gonna eat. Been blending up T-bone steaks and. If I can get, if I can drink it, I can, I can do it. Well, if that's, I believe you'll be as blessed as much as you are willing to give. That's what I feel, and I do understand. There's times, and I have, 
dear friends of mine and, and people that I really have confidence in. We understand that Daniel went on a particular kind of fast, and I believe God honors that. Obviously, we have scriptural example of God honoring those type of things. But you know what? Uh, we can make things convenient. I said we really can. We can make things uh, as generic as possible to kind of, well, just kind of be palatable to what we want to do and comfortable to our lifestyle so that it doesn't cramp anything. And churches are doing this. Churches are doing this. Well, we know it's too difficult for you guys to come on Wednesday night, so we're just going to have Sunday morning and Sunday night church. And then before too long, it becomes too uncomfortable for them to come on Sunday evening. And so we're just going to have Sunday morning church. Oh, my Lord, I hope the Lord comes back before too long or they're going to have to sell their church building because they're not going to have church in it. You understand what I'm talking about? It's not about convenience, about going to heaven. It's about being right with God. It's about being faithful to Him. Amen. And I could get into the reward system. I could get into all the blessings that come along with it. But I'm going to just tell you, regardless of the blessings that you receive and the rewards that come down the pike to you for living right and doing right and being, uh, being committed, amen, I'm going to just tell you tonight that it's so important, first of all, that you're saved. And that's what the Bible says, is that we're going to have to be living sacrifices unto God. Now that word sacrifice gets a real strange response in a lot of churches. I hope it doesn't hear. Yeah. Sacrifice is almost kind of like one of those taboo subjects. You talk about sacrificial giving, you talk about prune face. You talk about people getting clenched up a little bit. Just about like right now. You talk about sacrifice and, and as far as, hey, let's pour a little more coals on and let's pray. You talk about sacrifice and worship and praise unto God that goes against the grain of our flesh. That's not what people want to hear in our day. They want to hear about the reward. They want to hear about the blessing. They want to hear about prosperity. They want to hear about all of those things. But I want to tell you, until their sacrifice laid on the altar, my friend, there can be no fire. There can be no approval of God. There can be no blessing from the Lord. Is there still some folks in the 21st century that's willing to build an altar and sacrifice a sacrifice unto the Lord? Amen. Uriah realized that Doing what's right is not going to be convenient. And so, the second thing, he, he had a heart for the presence of God, the ark. Notice when David said, look, Uriah, you, you need, you've been on a long journey. You've been out there on the battlefield. My God, man, you, you've been, been around all those guys that smell like goats. Well, you've ever been out hunting with a few guys? After about three days, you're ready to go in. Because if there was a deer within 100 miles, he wouldn't come through there. Because if he's got a nose at all, he understands there's something foul walking around through the woods. He said, look, Uriah, you go home. Get cleaned up. Enjoy. And notice his first response was, his first response was, he said, the ark, and the Israelites, and Judah, they're intense out there in the open field. 
In other words, the ark's still out there on the battlefield. He had a heart for the glory of God. If there is anything that we need in this hour, we need to have a heart that can be touched by God. If we're going to be faithful to God, we've got to keep a heart that can be touched by the presence of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, you can never be faithful to God developing a callous, cold heart towards the things of God. It's a concern of mine when the presence of God can be so thick and people can be kind of looking around like nothing's going on. It's a concern of mine when, when there's people that are being touched by the presence of God and there's a glory of God that comes into the place and it's almost, it's almost so thick that it's like a cloud of glory that comes into a place and, and, and people can just sit down on the pew and cross their arms like they're hoping that this doesn't last very long. We've got to keep a heart that is open to be touched by God. He had a heart for the presence of God. That's what mattered more to him than anything else. That's the first thing that he mentioned was that I, I understand that the ark's still out there. How am I going to just get comfortable? How am I going to enjoy anything without the presence of God? I've got to be in the presence of the Lord. That's where real joy is. That's where real satisfaction is is in the presence of Almighty God. Isn't that what the Bible says? In His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. He said, I want to I be in the presence of God. That's the safest place that you could possibly be, is to stay in the presence of God. To stay open to the presence of God. To keep a heart for the presence of God. That should be your deepest longing. It shouldn't be, I'm looking for a reason so I don't have to go to church tonight. It should be, I can't wait till I get to go back to the house of God. That's the attitude that the psalmist had. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I've been separated from it too long. I'm going to tell you, it's not much from Sunday to Wednesday, but it's a long time when you've got to live in this wicked world that we're living in this filthy world that we're living in. You need to be you need to come into the presence of God and be washed by the Word of God. You need to take a spiritual path and be cleansed and be washed again. That's what coming to church is all about. You stay away from church, you start getting a you start getting an attitude. You start getting a spirit. Amen. You start you start things start getting attached to you. Amen. Let me talk about this tonight. Come on, you going to let me talk to you about it? Amen. Being in the presence of God. Keeping a heart for the presence of God. Keeping a, a hunger for the presence of God. Keeping an appetite for spiritual things. Amen. It's a, it's a deal in this hour that we're living in. Praise the Lord. I said it's a deal in this hour that we're living in. Because we're living in an hour where people really, they're, they're, they're more in tune with the carnal than they are the spiritual. They're, they're way more dialed in to what's happening in this world. I'm going to tell you it'd be better for you to look frumpy and not know what the styles and the trends are in this world than to have it all lined out and know nothing about the presence of God. And I don't think we ought to come to church and look like a bunch of hobos. I'm all for style. I'm all for looking good. But I'm just going to tell you, when it becomes a pride issue, and that means more to you than being in the presence of God, there's something wrong. 
Hallelujah. When entertainment means more to us than being in the presence of God, there's something wrong with us. Amen. Praise God. And I, I just want to be in His presence. David said, if I could just, if I couldn't go in to the presence of God, if I just had to be a doorkeeper and just get a little splash over that comes on the outside as people open the door to come and go, if that's, if that's the case, then I would, I would settle for that rather than to not ever be able to just be in His presence, just to feel His touch, just to know His nearness. That means so much to me. Praise the Lord. Amen. We cannot justify. We cannot justify staying away from the presence of God. We've got to be in His presence. We've got to know Him. Amen. No way you can know something or somebody is to spend time with them. And then number three, he was loyal to his fellow soldiers. Is that right? Oh, come on, Uriah. Go home. He said, no. Not only the ark is out there, but the servants of the Lord, the Israelites and Judah, and the servants of the Lord are out there on that battlefield. He had a loyalty for his fellow soldiers. He showed concern for his comrades. You say, well, you know, they weren't really so concerned about him. They retreated away from him. They left him to die. They left him to fight alone. But you see, that didn't matter to him. You see, most of our commitment to another person has to do with how we're treated by that other person. Most of our love towards other people has a lot to do with how much is reciprocated to us. You see what, I, you see what I'm saying? Much of what we are willing to give has a lot to do with what we have received. If somebody's been good to me, it's easy for me to be good to them. Amen? But that was not the case with this faithful man, Uriah. Even when they retreated away from him, even when they left him to die, he still had showed a concern for his fellow soldiers. He loved them. I said he loved them. He had a loyalty to them. Come on now. You say, well, as long as they're treating me good, I... I think I'll call that my church. As long as I'm getting along with everybody, I think I'll call that my church, or I'll be friendly. I'll fellowship with them. I'll, I'll go out with them if they treat me just right. That, that was not the attitude of Uriah. Uriah was loyal. He was loyal. And I'm going to bring this to a conclusion here in just a little while, and you're going to see the rewards of being loyal. But I'm going to tell you something. If, if your loyalty only runs as long as you're not offended, and your loyalty is only, is only as long as somebody doesn't rub me the wrong way or the pastor don't preach to me too much and, and everything goes just good and fine and dandy and, and I'm getting stroked and, and I'm the most popular person at the time or if he shakes my hand every Wednesday and Sunday morning and Sunday night and he spends time with me and he talks to me and all that kind of stuff. If that's your loyalty... I'm going to tell you, you're going to stump your toe around here because as this thing grows and as this thing flourishes, you're going to have to realize this is more than a one-man show. I said this is more than a one-man show. Who are you in this thing for? Are you in this thing for God or man? I said you in this thing for God or are you in it for man? You've got to understand, I'm not 
Great peace have them that love my law, and nothing shall offend them. I'm going to tell you, if you want a preacher that will preach to you the word of God, the law of God, I'll preach it to you. I'll do my very best. I'll spend hours on my face. I'll spend hours in study preparing and trying to get things right and trying to find the mind of God. That's what I owe to you. But if, if, if some way or another it's got to go, it, it's got to be just, just right and stroke, stroke you just right all the time got troubles so we got troubles because sometimes I don't even know when folks are mad at me I tend to keep it that way sometimes I'm crazy like a fox amen there's an art in playing dumb sometimes oh it's quiet in here amen praise the Lord it's important, it's important that you realize I've got to be loyal to something. You need to build that in your children, in your family. I'm loyal to this church. And there's a lot of loyal people. You've been through the highs and the lows. You've wrote it out. And I'm thankful for it. That's what makes Landmark Pentecostal Church what it is. You need to tie and anchor your life to this church and say, you know what, I believe I can be saved here. I think I, my family can make it here. I'm going to be loyal to this. I'm going to be loyal to this church. I said I'm going to be loyal to this church. I'm going I'm to be loyal to the people of this church. Come on, that doesn't mean you always got to agree. That doesn't mean you always got to like you got to love. You don't even like all your family members. But you got to love them, don't you? And bless God, ain't nobody else better start talking about them. You're going to have trouble on your hands. Ain't that right? Yeah, man, there ought to be something in you that wants to roll up your sleeves a little bit when the enemy gets on one of your brothers and your sisters. Come on, if you got any fight in you, there ought to be some loyalty. It said, I'll fight. I'll fight. I'll get down there and pray with them. I'll worship with them. I'll stay with them. I'll, I'll encourage them. I'll pick up the phone and I'll cheer them on because we need one another in this hour that we're living in. We don't need enemies. We got an enemy, and it's a common enemy. It's the devil. What we need is some people that says, I'll lock arms with you. We'll make it. We'll fight together. We're a church. We're a community that God wants to use in this last hour. So the next time somebody calls you up and says, yang, 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 you say, uh, wrong number. Send you an email. Woo, text message. Man, that's the wave, isn't it? That's one step up above Morse code. Morse. Uh, Brother O.C. Marler was telling me, he said, you know, you, 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 you 21st century preachers, he said, you're so cold. He said, you send me a text message. He said, it's just about like Morse code. So he sent me one the other day. He said, I figured it out. It said, diddy dot, diddy dot, diddy dot. church that stood up in Calvary Tabernacle to testify and he said diddy dot diddy dot diddy dot he said you folks don't know Morse code but he said that's praise the Lord in Morse code loyalty boy that's a 
That's something that is totally hard to find in this world. You need loyalty. I don't mind saying it. There's a lot of people that want to soft-soak this and, you know, I hope you will be loyal to the church, but I'm just going to come straight out and say it right to your kisser tonight. You need to be loyal to this church. I don't know of anybody that's being disloyal, but I just feel like preaching this tonight. You need to be loyal to the house of God. You need to be loyal to this place, this church, this people. Praise God. You ought not hide and tuck your head and be ashamed when you mention that you go to Landmark Pentecostal Church. And I don't mean you should be arrogant and stick your chest out and jut out your chin and make it make it where you seem like you're some kind of arrogant, prideful, spiritual, prideful person. But I do think you ought to have a certain amount of love and respect for the church that you're not ashamed to tell people, that's what I am, that's who I'm a part of. That's who I worship with. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Everybody agree with me? Glad to know it. It makes me be able to move on to my next point. When I know you, you got it. If I think you don't have it, I just have to linger. You know, my longevity has a lot to do with your preceptivity. Hey Amen. I can turn a five-point sermon into a one-point sermon. I can turn a five-point one into a twenty-five-point. I can keep going. I'm like the Energizer Bunny. I can just keep going, going, going. Hey Amen. He was loyal. Amen. Loyal. Well, I can't get off that way. Sounds so good in the church. It's about the only place it can be spoken anymore. Loyal. Loyal. We're comrades in arms. Amen. We're in this thing together. We're on the battlefield. I said, in case you haven't noticed, we're on a battlefield. Come on. Explosives. And mines are going off. Grenades are going off. Lead's flying by. This ain't time to be in a foolish argument or dispute with somebody. Come on. You just need to say, you know what? I'm going to entrust that to God and the man of God. And... Uh, I gotta be saved, so I gotta have a church to be saved. I gotta I gotta be able to hear the preaching to be saved. I gotta have the word of God interpreted to me to be saved. So it'd be kind of foolish for me to get bogged down. Come on, that's what some of you are. You're bogged down. You need to we need to get the John Deere backed up to you tonight. Get a logging chain and get you out of the bog because you're bogged down. Amen. Just back up there and put her down in granny and come on out. Praise the Lord, because I believe that God in this hour wants there to be a certain measure of loyalty in the church. I'm not talking about being disloyal to or, or being loyal to, to, to doctrine that's messed up or foolishness or sin. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about having a loyalty to the church, to the things of God. Praise the Lord. Number four, he could be entrusted with an unpopular task, Uriah. David directed Joab. He said, I want you to place him up on the front lines in the heat, in the hottest place of the battle. And then the order came down to Uriah. The order is, you're going to be put up in the hottest place of the battle. 
And there's no record in this story, this Bible that I read to you from tonight, where Uriah ever even flinched. He didn't say, oh, no, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a backline guy. He didn't say, my expertise is, is in uh, the rear part of this battle. My expertise is, is somewhere towards the back. I don't want to be up front. I don't want that position. I don't want to do that. I'm not interested. I'm not that involved. He didn't even flinch. He said, that's where you want me. That's where I'll go. That's what I'll do. And he went there. Amen? That's faithfulness. Obeying orders. That's faithfulness. When God says, let's do it, he did it. Amen? When the preacher preaches, let's have revival, let's win souls, let's, let's go forward, let's grow, let's, let's push, let's consecrate, let's commit, let's worship, Let's pray. Let's give. Uriah says, whatever. I'm not going to flinch. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to get cold feet. I'm not going to stand back and say, let's let somebody else do it. But if I'm the only one that will do it, I'll go up there and I'll do it because I want to be saved. I want to be marked as a faithful man. An unpopular task. You know, some folks are willing to do what you ask them to do as long as you ask them the right thing. Amen? As long as you give me something that's going to give me some prestige and some, some glory and I'm going to get some accolades out of this deal and I'm going to get noticed and I'm going to get my name mentioned and maybe you put me in the bulletin. Oh my God, yeah, I'm ready. But if it's not one of those jobs or duties or tasks or responsibilities that requires a lot of that, accolades. Maybe it's behind the scenes job. Maybe it's backstage as we would call it. Are you willing to do what God would ask you to do? Amen. I'm going to tell you, prayer is a backstage job. Amen. Everyday faithfulness to God doesn't receive a lot of accolades out in the open. But I'm going to tell you, when that trumpet sounds and we go home to be with Jesus, did you note the words that Jesus is going to say to those that make it? He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Faithful servant. You was there when it was unpopular. You, you, you stuck it through. You were loyal. You were faithful. You came to church. You were there. You were worshiping. You were praying. Amen. You didn't have a whole lot of ups and downs. You didn't have elevator Christianity. But you lived for God and you were faithful. Oh, you know what I'm talking about here tonight? It's not, it's not always what's up front. It's not always what's, what's most recognized. But it's the unpopular task that marks a faithful person. It's taking that Bible study and saying, you know what, I'll teach you the Word of God. I don't have to have a microphone in my hands to do that. I'll teach you the Word of God. I'll do what's necessary. I'll go teach a Sunday school class. I'll, I'll work on the bus do whatever. If something breaks down, I'll help try to fix it. I'll use the talents that God has given me to work for God in whatever way He would ask me to. Come on, how about it, Uriah? 
Is there any people that's willing to move into those unpopular tasks? If you want revival the way you say you want revival, you've got to be willing to do some things that may be inconvenient, that may not be popular tasks. Somebody has got to be willing to do the back behind the scenes work. Somebody has got to be willing uh, to to put the shoulder to the to the wheel and say, you know, we're going to push this thing forward. Somebody's got to be willing to go to a prayer room sometimes alone and pray. Somebody has got to be willing on that day when nobody's watching to push the plate back and say, I'll sacrifice and I'll fast and I'll do what is necessary to have revival. An unpopular task. That's your right. Go to the front line. I'll do it. Go where battle is the hottest, the most fierce, and there's the greatest danger, and be the most sacrificing. He said, I'll do it. I don't have to have the limelight. I don't have to wear the stripes on my arm. I don't have to have the medals and the badges. Just tell me where to go. And then Uriah, number five, was not a man that was willing to retreat. They placed him on the front line. They said, the rest of you, I want you to run back. Leave him out there. Hang him out to dry. And the Bible tells us that he, he could have followed suit. He could have turned around and realized, hey, they're not with me no more. And he could have backed up. And he could have ran home. And he could have said, if nobody else is going to do it with me, then, then I'm out. But he stood firm. I said he stood firm. And he did not retreat. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. Faithfulness is not... Which way is the wind blowing? Faithfulness is not what you guys think. Come on now. Faithfulness is not vacillating with the crowds. Faithfulness is not taking a, a public opinion poll. Faithfulness is not retreating on what you know is right. Faithfulness is unrelenting when it comes to righteousness. Faithfulness is, is committed even when the pressure is on. And I'm telling you, the pressure is on in our world like it's never been on. I said it's on in every direction. It used to be just from without. But now there's a whole lot of pressure that is coming from within Pentecostal ranks to capitulate and to back up and to compromise. But I come to tell you, I believe there's some Uriahs in the 21st century that have made up their mind. I'm not backing up. I'm not retreating. Uh, reverse, that's not, in my, that's not in my vocabulary. I'm not going back. I'm going forward. I'm going, I'm going to do what God has called and instituted for me to do. I'm going to be what God wants me to be in this hour. Amen. Praise God. Isn't that right? I'm not going to retreat. You know, some folks, the first little bit of opposition, they burn reverse plumb out. <laughs> I'm back off and leave you out there. Well, I felt that as a preacher many times. I've even felt that as a pastor, and I know that hurts your feelings. But, oh, yeah, we love you, brother. I hope that goes good for you. Woo! Hit a nerve, didn't I? That's all right. 
Amen. I hope that I hope that works out for you, Brother Calhoun. God, God bless you. Love you now. We'll come to your funeral. <laughs> Our prayers are with you. No, that's not faithfulness. Faithfulness is saying, you know what, I'm in this thing. My feet's planted. This is the ground that I'm supposed to be on. And I'm not going to waver. I'm not going back. I'm not retreating. That would not be progress. That would not be bringing me closer to God doing that. Going that direction. That wouldn't bring me closer to God. I, I'm going to keep going forward. I'm going to keep on doing what God wants me to do and being what God wants me to be. Does anybody feel that way here tonight? Come on, I don't I don't want to I don't want to go back. Come on, God called me out of darkness into this marvelous light. I'm going to keep walking towards the light. I'm going to keep on doing what God asked me to do. I'm going to keep on being what God asked me to be. I'm not going to relax. Amen. I'm going to keep fighting. I don't care what the rest of everybody does. You see, a lot of us, we look around and say, well, they're doing it. It must be all right. Well, that's not the truth. I said, that's not the truth. Uriah said, you know what? I'm going to fulfill the command and the orders from my superior. And he said that this is where I belong. I don't care if the rest of the army heads back. This is what he told me to do. That's where we need to be in our walk with God and say, you know what? I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to be solid. I'm going to be stable. I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to be somebody that you can't depend on when the battle gets hot that, that they melt away or they go somewhere else or they do something else or they got a better idea about things. I'm going to tell you something. What matters is being faithful. When the heat's on, that's when you're really proving who you are and what kind of saint of God that you are and how stable you are when you can worship and when you can praise God and when you can pray and when you can stay committed when everything's not necessarily going your way. That's what a real saint of God does. Amen. Whether the preacher's on your candy stick or not, you still love the Lord. You still praise in God. You're still faithful to God's house. Whether the singing goes good or not, you still come to church to worship God. Whether or not you, you know or understand everything that's going on, you still come to church and your focus is upon him and you praise the Lord. That's what, that's what being faithful is all about. Amen. Because if we're not careful, and I'm going I'm to get right up in the middle of it. If we're not careful, we get to thinking, well, I, I've been living for God for 25 years. Bless God, I know as much as anybody else does. Living for godliness. Amen. Ain't nobody gonna tell me how to live for God. I know how to live for God. Amen. I got a PhD in this living for God. I know all about it. There ain't nothing that preacher could tell me about living for God. I mean, I'm older than he is. I've been living for God long. I've had a Holy Ghost long. You know, that's beside the point. I said, that's beside the point. I said, that's beside the point. I don't care if the Apostle Paul had his hand on you when you got the Holy Ghost. Or you got, you got the Holy Ghost in the first revival that St. Peter preached. 
there's still more for you to learn. And we ain't any of us graduated yet. That's good English, wasn't it? There hasn't any of us graduated just yet. Amen. We're all looking for our crown. And so that means every time I come to the house of God, I got to get a little more Jesus. I got to learn a little bit more from His Word. I got to know a little bit more about God. I haven't graduated yet. I still need a preacher to preach to me. I still need a church to go to. I can't be my own high priest. I got to have somebody that's concerned. And you know what? I'm going to be loyal to it. Woo! I'm going to be loyal to it. I'm not out here looking for better opportunities. What if you had a preacher that was always looking for better opportunities? You wouldn't like it much, would you? Well, I don't like saints that's always looking for better opportunities either. Amen. You've got to be loyal to your church. You've got to be loyal to your church. Come on now. You've got to be loyal to your And, and I know we use the adage in conclusion tonight. We use the adage that good guys always win. And that's what we've always said and what we truly believe, and for the most part, that's the way it happens. But that's not necessarily the case in Uriah's story. The good guy didn't come out on top. They had a funeral for the good guy. But you know what did happen? Israel won the battle. In other words, the kingdom progressed. Isn't, it, isn't that what it's all about, more than us just individually? I said more than us just arriving at our own goals and, and our own ambitions and, and our own aspirations individually. Isn't the kingdom of God take supremacy over all of that? His kingdom going forward. His kingdom being what it needs to be. His kingdom progressing. Amen. Jesus had to go to a cross so that the church could be established. And all of us are going to have to bear one if we're going to be a part of it. I said we're going to have to bear a cross if we're going to be a part of this church. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me? Help me to have the marks of a faithful person. I said, help me to have the marks of a faithful person. Would you pray that right now? God, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. The Scripture says that David, David tried to get him inebriated. He, he tried to get him drunk tried to alter his thinking. But isn't it ironic that even a drunk, inebriated man had more character about him than anybody else in this story? Even being intoxicated, he said, I'm still not going to, I'm still not going to go against what's in my character and my integrity. I'm still going to do what's right. Amen. I'm still going to be a faithful man in unfavorable conditions. The king may not be faithful to me. 
My superiors may not be faithful to me. My own wife may not be faithful. But I'm going to be faithful. That's Uriah. That's Uriah. Amen. Let's give him a love offering right now. Just wave our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, help me to be solid. Help me to have some strong roots. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, why don't you worship him by clapping your hands to him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for your attention here tonight and for response to the Word of God. Let's remember this Sunday. and Let's come believe in the Lord for some great things to happen Sunday morning and Sunday night. Tomorrow night, I want to be speaking to the ladies. Is that going to be in here or where? It'll be in the uh, youth room all the way down at the very end. So uh, let's, let's have a good time of fellowship. Maybe, maybe I can uh, ask the Lord to help me to talk to these ladies. Praise God. God bless you all. I appreciate you so much. Husbands, make sure your wives are here tomorrow night. You, I'm just kidding. You might benefit from it. I don't know. Love you. God bless you. Let's come back this weekend believing God for great things.